Chapter Eleven of Neighbours by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Old Mrs. Bennet opened the door in response to Mr. Pettibone's knock. She was a very small and withered old woman with bent shoulders, which appeared in some remote period of time to have absorbed the semblance of a neck. She peered suspiciously at the minister over the rims of her old-fashioned steel spectacles. "'I guess you'd better step inside,' she said. "'The air drawer is something terrible when the door is open.' The pent-up atmosphere within the little house appeared to be clamouring for reinforcements. In it were reminiscences of boiled vegetables, fried things, kerosene, feather beds of ancient lineage and descent, of well-conserved black clothes and old stuffed furniture, with the more insistent aroma of a chill cellar where lingered the ghosts of vegetables, pickles and smoked meats. Old Mrs. Bennet blinked vaguely at the tall man in the dimly lighted passage. "'Be you the sewing-machine agent?' she demanded in her high, quavering voice. "'Because if you be, Malfini says—' "'Pardon me, Mrs. Bennet,' the minister interrupted in his unruffled voice. "'I see you fail to remember me. "'I'm Mr. Pettibone, a pastor of the Presbyterian Church. "'I had the pleasure of calling upon you last winter.' "'Oh, well, that certainly is one on me,' crowed the old lady. Oh, "'Malvinny! Malvinny!' The sound of a sewing-machine driven at full speed ceased at the strident call, and Miss Bennet's voice issued from the stuffy little room in the rear of the hall. "'What is it, Ma?' "'Here's the minister come to call, and I went and mistook him for the sewing-machine agent!' Miss Malvina, instant with apology and explanation, piloted Mr. Pettibone to the parlour, where a sofa and several chairs covered with black haircloth presided over a marble-topped table, whose chief ornament was a symbolic cross, wrought in waxwork in the days of Miss Malvina's youth, and carefully guarded from the tooth of time by a glass cover. "'Mars, I say, ain't so very good lately,' offered Miss Malvina. "'My sewing machine makes such a racket I can't hear myself think.' "'I suppose you're busy as usual,' chimed in the minister cheerfully. He was thinking his wife must have been mistaken about the new dressmaker. Surely there should be enough work in Innisfield for both women? "'I suppose Mary Philura, oh, I mean Mrs. Reverend Pettibone, must have told you,' she said in a low tone, not meant for the ears of Ma. "'Oh, you mean—' Miss Malvina nodded and hitched her chair closer to the minister's. "'I've kept it from Ma so far. I don't want her to get all riled up. You know how it is with a person her age. Of course, I ain't talking about it to most other folks, neither. But that there Madame Louise, well, I don't mind telling my minister, she's took my customers right away from me. Folks I've done for since they was babies.' Oh, this is really distressing, Miss Malvina, said the minister. And to think that all this time I've neglected... Oh, 
you perhaps recall the circumstances connected with your bringing mrs pettibone's robe if that is the proper term for so beautiful a garment to the parsonage he had drawn the depleted roll of bills from his pocket and was gazing at miss bennett his kind face puckered with distress the little dressmaker threw herself back in her chair with a tragic gesture of dismay oh if i ain't always a puttin my foot in she exclaimed ma seems to me i smell them turnips burnin put some more water in the pot will you on the heels of mrs bennett's departure her daughter turned again to the minister i ain't a-goin to take a cent for makin that there negligee she said positively tain't much i can do for folks but making up them light blue goods for mrs reverend pettibone was a real pleasure and sewing on the lace and all i kept a thinkin all the while how perfectly sweet she was goin to look holdin her baby up against them satin bows oh i hope and pray he don't spoil em oh but my dear miss malvina protested mr pettibone let me assure you that while we appreciate to the full your oh, i didn't tell you everything interrupted the little dressmaker the lord's been real good to me and i'm as prosperous and contented as a mouse and a cheese i tell you i just took the bit in my teeth and went and interviewed that woman you mean mrs hobbs miss malvina nodded briskly she can't no more dress make than a cat can sing i'm helping her out you're helping i'm finishing off and like that but i don't take no responsibility on my shoulders for patterns and of all the ridiculous oh just you wait till you see miss obed salter and mrs undertaker beals a-walking down the centre aisle a sunday i bet you forget your text but there i oughtn't to have spoken that away mrs bennett sailed into the room her ancient nose in the air next time you want to get rid of me malviny she said you don't need to tell no lie them turnips weren't even boiling mr pettibone arose with haste oh uh, <clears throat> can you tell me anything concerning your new neighbours he asked i had thought of calling there well i should remark <laughs> chirruped miss malvina i feel as though i know em intimate what with helpin em clean and settle and madlin a-runnin in the back door friendly most any minute i'm teachin her to talk so folks can understand what she's tryin to say oh i had to laugh first off but she's real bright and catches on something wonderful her can talk pretty good considering he's foreign of course he can't help that oh yes sir mr desay is what i call a real gentleman and outside of present company there ain't many of them to be found in this ere town mr pettibone walked home quickly in the early darkness which greeted him as he emerged upon the old familiar doorstep of the house which had sheltered the sober late blooming of his second courtship and marriage he seldom thought of his first wife in these days many years had elapsed since he believed his broken heart buried deep beneath the rough sod of the village churchyard 
and in truth something of himself his young manhood his shattered dreams of future happiness the fervent upspringing of his spirit to hers had never risen from the chill silence which enshrouded her there but to-day a look in the soft dark eyes of madeleine de say something in the graceful bend of her head as she sat modestly listening to the somewhat laboured conversation between her father and himself had brought back the vivid image of mary and now as he hurried homeward she seemed flitting by his side in the deepening twilight as beautiful as loving as when in her first youth she had given herself to him he half put out his hand to the unsubstantial presence then as quickly withdrew it there was no bridging of the chasm possible and were it possible he knew he would not choose to call her back the mother of his son sat waiting for him by the study fire there was a warm rose of welcome in her uplifted face which vanished at the touch of his cold lips what has happened silas she asked quickly you look pale and oh nothing nothing at all my dear philura he assured her it's damp and chilly outside and uh, well i believe i am a little tired parish visiting is never an easy task she watched him anxiously while they were eating their supper and uneasily aware of her searching eyes he made a conscious effort to entertain her telling her of mrs hobbs and her english son of the generosity of malvina bennett at which she demurred and finally of his visit to the Desays. she presently forgot her uneasiness in eager questions about the father and the daughter the furnishing of the house and the probable permanency of her new tenants if only they'll stay all summer silas we can buy the ford runabout you could sell the horse and buggy and the barn will do perfectly just as it is oh it would be such a help in out-of-town calls dear he did not deny this and the curious sense of aloofness which she had felt like a chill mist between them gradually disappeared in the sunshine of renewed domesticity that frenchman de say he told her is a most interesting person it seems he's a native of alsace and at the outbreak of the war fearing reprisals from his german neighbours with whom he'd never been on the best of terms he decided wisely or unwisely to come to america they have some small means i should say but whether they will remain in innisfield or not depends wholly upon circumstances you mean whether they like it here or not she inquired precisely my dear and that as the boys say is up to us he still seemed struggling with some unknown depression difficult to shake off her eyes timidly questioned his but without response then they are not catholics he shook his head such religion as they have bears no theological brand he said dryly and you're quite sure you feel well silas he arose from the supper-table with his usual dignified deliberation my dear philura he said why will you persist in supposing me ill isn't it one of your bedrock principles to think health she lowered her eyes yes silas 
she said meekly. He worked diligently in his study that evening, covering uncounted large pages with a dissertation on the life and labours of St. Paul, garnered from the shelves of his library and the recesses of his own well-stored mind. It was past eleven o'clock when he finally placed the capsheaf of a triumphant martyrdom on the apostolic career. The house was very quiet, so quiet that the soft thud of snow against the window was distinctly audible. He arose, crossed the floor noiselessly in his slippered feet, and looked out. All semblance of spring had vanished in the whirling drift. It might have been January, and yet it was April, and all this show and bluster of winter must shortly disappear before the advancing sun. Half against his will, his thoughts reverted once more to the reverie of the early evening and his subsequent discomfiture under the blue eyes of Filiora. Was it a species of infidelity to her to return to his lost Mary, even in memory? He swept his hand across his tired eyes. Life was a strange, long journey at best, and one must travel it for the most part alone, with only thoughts, unseen, unknown, and often unbidden, for company. A faint wailing cry from above roused him, and then the sound of her gentle foot on the floor. Was the response of the infinite affection as sure? End of chapter 11